What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. everybody welcome back to the sports ethos kings podcast this is jill um and we are going to get right into our next candidate so today we're going to be talking about steve clifford now some of you might already know um some things about steve uh being that he's been around in the league for a while um, and you know, was an, a head coach as recent as you know two seasons ago. So um, we'll start right off. So Clifford attended the University of Maine at Farmington, where he played college basketball for four years. In his final two years, he was team captain and was named best defensive player. I don't think anyone should be surprised by that, uh, knowing that he's known as one of the best defensive coaches in the game right now. So. Um, he graduated with a degree in special education. So um, similar to some of these other guys, what we see is um, some of these de- getting their degrees in uh, relationship-based um, areas, which I think will, you know, only helps these guys uh, when it comes to forming those kind of relationships with people. So um After he graduated in 1983, he got his first coaching gig, and it was actually for a high school basketball team. Um, He was there for two years, and he took them to two state tournaments. Um, After that, he then got his first gig as an assistant uh, with the college. So from 85 to 89, he served as the assistant coach at St. Anselm College, From 89 and 90, he uh, was an assistant at Fairfield University. Then um, the next year, uh, he started at Boston University and was there for four years. And then he, from 94 to 95, he was at Siena College. So um, he was an assistant from 85 to 95. So he spent 10 years as uh, as an assistant coach in college basketball. In 95... Um, he got his first college coaching gig at Adelphi University. He coached there for four seasons, leading his team to four appearances in the NCAA Division II tournament. They had an 89 and uh, 86 and 36 record um, and uh, record and four consecutive 20 win seasons. He was the first coach in the school's history with back-to-back 20 plus win seasons. So all good things there. So in total, he spent 15 years coaching in college basketball, 10 as an assistant. And then um, he had the four seasons um, as a head coach. And then he had one um, year following that he was an assistant at East Carolina University. So from there, he then made the jump 
to the NBA. So in 2001, as an assistant, he was hired uh, with the New York Knicks under Jeff Van Gundy. He followed Jeff from the Knicks to the Rockets in 2003. Uh, Some notables on those benches are Clifford, uh, Tibbs, and Patrick Ewing. He quickly developed the reputation as a defensive expert in coaching circles. Next, he moved to Orlando in 2007 as an assistant with Stan Van Gundy. He considers both brothers his mentors, and with Orlando as an assistant, they made the playoffs all five seasons he was there, and then they made the finals in 2009. Um, next it was Mike Brown that hired Clifford to his bench on the Lakers in 2012, but he was only there one season and Brown did not last that. Um, oh, that might've been the year he did. Uh, no, that was the year he did not last. Um, but this is where he formed his relationship with Steve Nash, who he now serves as a coaching consultant with for the Nets. So he, um, for those that didn't know, he is a coaching consultant with the Nets. He had interviewed for a couple of the opening um, head coach positions this last, this last offseason, did not get him, and was known as the most sought-after uh, assistant coach um, on the bench. But he decided to um, stay in Orlando, where his home currently is, um, and serve as a consultant. So he says he flies out there you know, once or twice um, a month, he's constantly watching videos, meets with the guys, meets with the coaching staff and um, offers, you know, his, his two cents. And we're seeing that more and more with, with ex coaches. I know Tibbs did it for a while um, between stints. And then we're seeing Terry Stotts do it with the jazz for those that did not know. So, um, and uh, Mike D'Antoni is doing it with the Pelicans with first-year coach Willie Green. So I think it's really cool for guys that maybe don't want um, to be an assistant at this point or still hoping to get back in the league as a coach. It's a way that they don't have to give all their time away, um, but they can still offer you know their mentorship and uh, two cents and get credit for that uh, you know, and and stay in the game essentially. So, um, that's something we are seeing more and more of, uh, next we have, uh, 2003 or 2013, sorry, Clifford gets his first NBA head coaching opportunity. He implemented it, uh, with the, what was then, uh, the Bobcats. And so he implemented a defensive mentality in Charlotte during his first year as head coach, turning the Charlotte Bobcats into a top five defensive team. When in the years prior, his tenure, they ranked near the bottom of the NBA in that category. He led the Bobcats to the 2014 NBA playoffs in his first year as head coach, during which he coached the Bobcats to a 43 and 39 record, finished fourth and head coach the year voting. And something that's notable is that year, right? They finished with 43 wins um, over 500. The two years prior to him joining the Bobcats, they only had a combined win total of 28 wins. So again, um, kudos to him and for turning that uh, defense into, into a top five defense, right? Um, as one Ringer article says, Franchises can do much worse than a coach who has a reputation of building strong bonds with his players and can make even the most lackluster rosters in the NBA competent defensively. 
from 2013 to 2014 um, to 2015, 2016, Charlotte was a top 10 defense, despite relying on players like an aging Al Jefferson and a young Zodi Cody Zeller as defensive anchors around the rim. Clifford was able to simplify the schemes for his big men, largely asking plotting centers like Jefferson to drop back, allowing his multiple hellhound wings on the perimeter to pick up most of the slack. The teams he coached were hardly built for the present, much less the future, but he made do. Um, something mentioned, uh, Clifford mentioned recently uh, in a podcast last month was in order to win in this league, you need good perimeter defenders. I think we say this plenty of times as Kings fans. Too many guys can't stay in front of someone for one dribble. Hey, we've heard that one before. Don't foul, stay up straight vertically. Don't slap down, be disciplined. He says you can't be down six threes a game to a team. But if you're getting killed on the glass at the rim, then it will be hard to win in the league. That As good as three-point teams are right now, he's still saying that um, the most efficient you know, basket is, is still at the rim. And so if you can't figure that out, um, it's going to be hard to figure much else out. So if you don't have the big rim presence, what can you do? That was the question asked. He says, watch OKC. They're anywhere between eighth and 10th in defense. Um, they're disciplined. They don't have a big shot blocker, but they're early to react. They're early to help. I think so much of it is not getting spread out off the ball as the ball moves. The things we always talk about, everybody move as one, be connected, trust each other. If you watch some of the best defenses right now, it's the old school stuff. Squaring the ball up, they don't get crushed. They help better. They don't overhelp. They aren't just running around where you're letting good players behind you. I'm okay with trying things and adapting, but to me, the good teams are saying it's not okay to be blown by on the first dribble. Get square when you close out. Don't slap the ball if a guy gets by you. Show your hands the fundamental areas of playing good team defense. I agree. <laughs> Next up, Kemba credits him for taking his leap and hiring him as a shooting coach. He says he was just trying to get by in the league and not ruffle feathers. Clifford told him he believed he could be an all-star and told Kemba to trust him. Kemba did and said he trusts Clifford with anything now. He says he knows he put in the time and the work, but coach believed in me and they built that trust in each other. And so the, the coaching, um, the shooting coach was mentioned on the uh, JJ Reddick podcast. So if you want to go listen to that, there was some good stuff. Um, he just said that how much of a difference that that made in him and that, you know, when Clifford first talked about getting a, a shooting coach, Kemba was nervous about it, you know, knowing that he's only shot one way for forever. Um, but Clifford just kept telling him, no, like, I believe you can be an all-star, like, just trust me trust me on this, you know, we'll, it, it'll work. And Kemba said he did. And, you know, again, that he'd Cliff, he'd trust Cliff, as he says, with anything now. So kind of a cool story to hear. So while Clifford never made it past the first round, his team did take the heat to seven games in, in the playoffs. And this is where I have a hard part criticizing, you know, when it comes to some of these pad, past head coaches, you know, we, 
we criticize them for, you know, not making it far in the playoffs, but yet they made it to the playoffs with lesser teams and just got beat by better teams, right? Like they got beat by the super teams. Um, so to me, that's not necessarily, you know, I wouldn't blame that on him for not being a good coach and his, his team, not making it past the first round of the playoffs. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'll say about that. Um, it was known he dealt with management changes, overpaid contracts to players like Batum and Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd Giltrist at the time. Um, but he made the team relevant. And while he was there, you know, that's, that's all you can ask for. And it's a lot more than we've seen around here. Uh, the Hornets had three starters, Nicholas Batum, Marvin Williams, and Courtney Lee, and then two key reserves, Al Jefferson and Jeremy Lin, on expiring contracts or deals with the player option. Yet this potentially transient group um, is one of NBA's most co- was one of NBA's most cohesive at the time. So they were saying after the trade deadline, it was like 60% of Charlotte staff uh, players that were playing were all on their last year of a deal or that they had a um, player option, you know, coming up. And so, you know, where other teams might give up and, and stop playing for something that's not Steve, you know, Clifford and, and they had guys that wanted to keep playing, right? Like they had older guys on the team and, you know, it's, it was not about, um, you know, working in young guys at that point. Um, so it was said in a situation uh, that would have been ripe for selfishness and jealousy. Charlotte players shared the ball and trusted each other defensively. Uh, the Hornets went 48 and 34, the franchise's best record since reemerging um, as uh, the Bobcats entering the first round series against the Heat. Len, um, who was them, uh, then a team traveler at that point, said he had never experienced a team like that before. Something Clifford, uh, so according to players, this is something Clifford told them on day one of training camp. You want to make money, Clifford says. Play on a team that wins. For every player at the end of the day, winning is the best way for them to make more money and have more worth. People are always wary of guys who put up numbers on teams that don't win. Clifford gave his team specific examples. And though the coach declined to reveal them, (laughs) Jefferson brought up two. Monte Ellis and Damari Carroll. Both players signed four-year contracts that summer Uh, coming from different circumstances the season prior. Uh, Monte Ellis, he scored 18.9 points for the Mavericks, who lost in the first round. He got uh, $43 million from the Pacers, almost $44 million. Uh, Damari Carroll, he scored 12.6 points per game for the Hawks, who reached the conference finals that year, and he got $58 million from the Raptors. So one loss in the first round, one loss in the conference finals, one got, you know, almost just under 44 and one got 58 million. Um, So he got his players to buy in, whether they were all-stars, rookies, or end of contract guys aging out. So again, I think that's pretty much what most people want out of a head coach at that point. If you're not, you know, a, a super team, get me the most out of the guys on this roster. So 
Now we move on to Orlando. Uh, May of 2018, Clifford was named the head coach of the Orlando Magic. So as we know, this was his second stint in Orlando um, based on him being the assistant under Stan Van Gundy uh, for those years. So the Magic started the 18-19 season by splitting their first 24 games before falling 11 games under 500. Um, despite the uh, bad start, Clifford led the Magic on a dramatic turnaround. Um, and then in April of 2019, Orlando defeated the Celtics to clinch their first playoff berth since 2011-2012. Um, the win also clinched the Magic's first Southeast Division title since 2009-2010. And that was the Magic's first playoff appearance since trading Dwight Howard to the Lakers in 2012. And it ended the longest playoff drought in franchise history. So, yes. <laughs> he has that on his record. He has ended <laughs> a longest playoff drought for a team. So by the end of Orlando, uh, by the end of his stint in Orlando, they wanted to rebuild. Um, and Clifford said he didn't want to coach another season where winning wasn't the priority. Both parties left on good terms, had a respect for what each other wanted. Um, I don't think you can say that much about breakups where you didn't find any of those, you know, nasty articles out there of either side talking bad about each other. It was simply both of them realizing one coach doesn't want to coach a rebuilding team, right? He, or at least a team that, you know, winning is not the priority at this point. And, and the Orlando wanted a coach who wanted to, wanted to coach that. So um, respectful for both, you know, and keeping it clean and, and ending on, on good terms. Um, some highlights of team stats between the two, uh, between Charlotte and Orlando. So five of his eight squads deployed a top 10 defense despite lacking a true rim protector. And Charlotte, he largely depended on Alvin Jefferson and Cody Zeller. In Orlando, it was Nikola Vucevic um, because Bomba was kind of in and out with health at different times. And so um, they just did not have that big rim deterrent at the time. So I, I, I think the Kings are kind of in that, that area right now. Um, in the 6,000 plus minutes that Vucevic was on the floor for the Magic over the last three seasons under Clifford, only 29% of their opponent shots came at the rim. Clifford is, uh, his, his, he has an ability to elevate the team's rebounding numbers. Since 2013, seven of his squads finished in the top five in defensive ramp, rebounding percentage. The only roster that failed to crack the top five was the last year coaching the Magic, which the team still finished eight. So um, the 6,000 plus minutes with Vukovic uh, stood out to me um, being that I think you could probably say Sabonis and Vuk uh, when it comes to rim protectors are probably pretty similar. And the fact that only 29% of opponent shots came at the rim um, is, is pretty impressive. And, you know, I, I mentioned that before up top about what he, he said about um, you know, having guys on the wing who can guard, um, is, is something extremely, uh, important and it helps save your centers. So, um, you know, unless the Kings do that, 
I don't think those numbers would be the same. I could be wrong, but he's made it very well known that if you're not going to have that rim protector, then you need guys out on the wing who are set in their, you know, fundamental defensive ways, or at least can play team defense. So just, you know, something to throw out there. Uh, He prioritizes getting back in transition more. He values possessions and preventing opponents from getting easy buckets via second chance points and fast break opportunities. His teams are consistently one of the best at avoiding turnovers. Um, With all eight of his teams finishing no worse than sixth in turnover percentage, four of the teams um, from 2013 to 2017 when they were the Bobcats Hornets, uh, they led the entire NBA in taking care of the ball. So that's that's something, you know, that that the Kings could always use. Um, his offenses were not great. That's really the one downfall of Clifford. Um, Orlando finished top 22 once, and Charlotte had uh, one top 10 finish, um, but the rest were not. Um, I do think the most important part, that is if he's hired, um, as an, as a head coach that, you know, whether it's with the Kings or anywhere else, he really has to hire an associate head coach who's in charge of the offense. Um, I do think that's kind of probably the most missing piece in terms of him as his defense is always spectacular and, and right. 50% of his teams, you know, get, get to the playoffs, but um, their offense has been lacking. So, you know, I know Fox said he wants structure, uh, but I don't think it needs to be that extreme. So I do think that um, if you do hire that more, you know, defensive specialist coach, you really need to focus on who you have as your associate or who else is on the bench. Because as we know, as I've said in, you know, previous ones, you don't have to have a coach that does it all. Um, At that point, it's just as important as, as hiring assistants that know how to fill all those holes. And I know that's something Pritchard said last year with the Pacers was that um, it's not just about the coach you hire. It's a lot of times it's just as much about your assistants because you do need those guys that, that complement each other and can help kind of, you know, fill in any cracks that any one, you know, person might have. So Uh, Something that was mentioned when he was being interviewed for the Pacers job was that he sticks to his principles, implements it to a T, and is keen on developing players. He doesn't wreak havoc or dysfunction in the locker room. All great things. (laughs) Um, In March, uh, Clifford appeared in the Slap and Glass podcast and broke down some of his defensive philosophies. I definitely recommend it. You'll learn a, um, a great amount. And what I thought, you know, what I loved and thought that was funny is that he broke down a lot of his defenses and some of his philosophies, but there were times he kept, you know, apologizing and saying he was getting ahead of himself or going on a tangent, but just as much, he would stop and say, Oh, you know, sorry, I, I, I can't keep things going. Cause you know, some things have to be kept a secret essentially, you know, to me, that shows he still wants to be in this league. Um, I have no idea if it's purely as a head coach, um, but as reports show that, you know, if he's not hired as that head coach, he'll be the most sought after assistant. Um, And to me, just as much, if, if the Kings didn't hire him um, and hired, say maybe the next, the guy I'm going to talk about 
next up on the podcast, Terry Stotts. If you could get a Terry Stotts offense and a Steve Clifford defense, um, hallelujah. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was Steve Clifford. Um, hopefully you guys, you know, learn some new things. Um, again, not here to sell you on anybody, just letting you know the, the names out there, because just as much of, you know, these guys are around, if you can don't get them for head coach, if you could steal them as assistants, I know that's, you know, extremely unlikely, um, because there's so many you know, better opportunities out there, but, um, I think all these podcasts just continue to show that there's a lot of great names out there. There's a lot of talent and it has me excited as, as a Kings fan. Um, you know, especially if you can land at, at, you know, at least one of these, um, I would be thrilled. So thank you guys again for listening as always. And, um, like I mentioned, next up is going to be Terry Stott. So be sure to tune in for that. And, um, thanks again. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.